so that uh, you're able to, to consult it and keep reading it because uh, it's the only way this sermon's going to make much sense at all, frankly. Uh, this sermon will not be filled with stories upon stories that will keep you captivated. I apologize. Uh, but it will, however, uh, be coming back to uh, Paul's words to us in 1 Corinthians 15 time and time and time again. So uh, if you're going to uh, get something out of this, uh, and if you're going to, frankly, enjoy this, uh, it's going to require uh, a Bible in your midst. With that said, just a quick, ever so quick, recap of what we learned last week. Does anyone remember the question that I asked a few times throughout the sermon last week? What was it? Do you... Do you still believe, right? Yeah, do you still believe, right? Which is uh, kind of what Paul's saying in those first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. He's giving us a, uh, uh, well, uh, a creed uh, of sorts. Uh, we were talking in council yesterday, and uh, I promise not to use names, so I won't. Uh, uh, but somebody said, this is like the earliest creed. Uh, and sure enough, like we have here kind of a distillation of what we should believe, right? And, and I said there's five parts to it, and I said uh, that I, I wanted to kind of dwell on the Christ part of it, that, that Christ is our uh, anointed one, the, the king. There's like this kingly element to it all. Um, but then there's these other four things that are, are sitting there. That he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that's going to come back. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And finally, that he appeared. If first he says to Cephas, and then he says to the twelve, and then he says to like a bunch of other people. A bunch of other people. Like hundreds of other people is what he says here. And then he says, and lastly of all, he appeared to me, Paul. Right? And Paul is saying, I am a witness to what Christ has done, not just done in my life, but to the fact that he has been raised from the dead. And you can believe me because I have seen him with my own two eyes, is what Paul is saying, right? And he gets to the end of it all in verse 11, and I didn't quite, you know, hammer this one home and, and regretted it uh, on my drive home, but whatever, uh, I'm going to say it now. So he ends this way, he says, whether then it was I, Paul, or they, all of those other hundreds of people who witnessed Jesus in the flesh, right? Whether it was I or they, so we, and we is the key word there, we preach and you believed. This is what he's saying to the Corinthians, right? So we've got this same message, and it's got these five parts to it. We preach it, and by the way, this word preach is like, again, the, the herald standing on the town square saying, great news, uh, this is the message that I bring to you. Your king has delivered you from a, a, an enemy. He has vanquished your foe, and so he's preaching this, and then he says, and you believed it. And again, this, this word believe is all over our New Testament, isn't it? 
and I've tried to say this a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand and one, uh, belief is, uh, is a matter of trust, right? It's the same word that is, is faith. In this case, I might even encourage you to think of it in terms of allegiance, right? This is actually a pretty good translation. You'll never find it in any translation, but it's a, it's a good one, uh, you gave that guy, that king, that anointed one, the Christ, you gave him your allegiance because you believed us witnesses that we really did see a risen Christ. Okay, so, so again, this is just by way of introduction here. This is what Paul says from verses 1 through 11. And it's in verse 12 then that he gets to the real problem. He's kind of slow played it to this point. If you've ever read 1 Corinthians in detail, uh, you might notice uh, the whole book from beginning to end is like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this problem, and then I'm going to address this problem, and I'm going to address this problem. And now in chapter 15, he's got a, another problem that the Corinthian people are facing that he wants to address. And he finally gets to it in verse 12. And he says this, now, if Christ is proclaimed, or uh, a better word here would be preached, it was the word that was just used in the previous sentence, I don't know why the, the ESV didn't use the same word, but it's the same word. So, if indeed we do preach this Christ, the one who died, was buried, and is raised, and appeared to all these people, right? If that's who this Christ is, who is preached as raised from the dead... And then here's the problem. How in the world can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So just to slow down, to make sure we're all on the same page. The question at hand is not, did Jesus uh, die and, and then be raised from the dead? That is not the question. In fact, Paul has said that they believe that much. The question at hand is, will you and I be raised from the dead? Will the Corinthian people, will they be raised from the dead? And it appears, reading between the lines here, that some of them didn't believe this. That some of them thought that this life is it. And then we die, and then we're done. That's what they thought. And he says, he says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, why would you believe that, right? Why would you believe that the rest of us aren't going to be raised from the dead as well? To kind of skip to the end of this whole thing at verse 20, right? He restates it all, but in a very positive, upbeat way where he says that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he's the firstfruits of all who have fallen asleep, that is, who have died. He's the first one to be raised from the dead, but great news, the rest of us can expect this as well. Are we all on the same page now as to the problem that Paul is addressing? This might be odd, this problem, to you and I, because my guess is, is there are very few people walking around the world who believe the Christian message, the Christian message being that uh, today, at least, uh, uh, 
the Christian message that Christ died and was raised again, uh, and then just say, yeah, but this life is all there is. Like, we don't have this problem anymore. Most of us say, well, if I'm going to believe in the whole Jesus thing, you better believe I'm going to believe in the afterlife thing too, right? They go hand in hand for us and have for a very long time. But this is very early in uh, Christian history. It's in like the first two decades of it all. And so Paul is trying to help these Corinthians who don't even probably have some sort of Jewish background or Jewish education to, to rely on. And he's trying to help some of them connect some dots that they need help connecting. Paul, by the way, is essentially doing theology for us. This is what theology looks like. It's taking something we know. We know that Jesus died and was raised again from the dead. And then he's extrapolating. Okay, what does this mean? And what it means is that for these pagan Corinthians who might believe that there is no afterlife, Paul is trying to uh, persuade them and explain to them, no. No, if Christ is raised from the dead, that's what we're aiming for. We too are waiting to be raised from the dead. It all goes together, Paul is saying. So verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how come some of you are saying that there's no resurrection of the dead? And then he goes on and he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He's going to say this a second time in verse 16. He'll like repeat almost the same exact words. And he's linking these two things together. And he's saying, if there's, no if there's no, it's called a general resurrection. This is, Jewish thought was mixed on this, and, and some believed in it, some didn't. Uh, but the general resurrection is this idea that all people will be raised from the dead and judged. And Paul is saying, look, if Christ is raised from the dead, then the general resurrection is going to happen as well. But if there's no general resurrection from the dead, then even Christ wasn't raised from the dead, is, is what he wants to say. And then, this is where it gets powerful. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then we've got some real problems. We've got some real problems. And he says, our preaching, the very thing that you believed, right, up in verse 11 there, then our preaching, it's in vain. And your faith your belief, again, back to verse 11, the thing you believe, well, that too is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith, your allegiance to that Christ is in vain. And we're all just wasting each other's time here. And he goes on in verse 15. And he says, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. Let's just slow down a bit. 
I want to take to task the ESV translation committee for a second. I don't know why they say misrepresenting God here. Most other translations, if you have one, probably say something like bearing false witness about God. And if you recall, that's the whole, whole kit and caboodle here uh, from the, the previous part of this, is that Paul's standing up and he's saying, I'm a witness to the risen Christ. I saw this thing happen. And he's saying, so did these hundreds of other people. And we are bearing true witness, is what he wants to say. But he's kind of flipping it over and he's saying, if there's no resurrection from the dead, and if Christ really wasn't raised, then you know what we're actually doing? We are being false witnesses. And as you might imagine, the Old Testament has a few things to say about bearing false witness. The penalty of which is actually stoning to death. We don't really do that much anymore. Uh, but they might have in this day and age. Bearing false witness was bad enough. But Paul's saying it's worse yet. We are bearing false witness about God. Because it was God who raised him from the dead. And we're all walking around saying that we, uh, we uh, believe that God raised him from the dead. Because we saw it with our own eyes. And Paul's saying, if it's not true, then hundreds of us are walking around and, and we're saying what is false. And we are not true witnesses. Now, of course, he's saying this, again, in the upside-down sort of way, to drive home the point that this really did happen. That he really did see this. That he really did have this experience. And so did all of these other people. And so when he says in verse 15, we are even found to be false witnesses about God because we testified or we witnessed about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him if it is true that the dead are not raised. And he gets back to his main point, right? And he's trying to again convince these Corinthian people about this thing that, that, yes, we all will be raised from the dead at some point. And he goes on. And he says in 16, For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Which is, again, this is the repeat of verse 13. And he wants to link these two things together. So he's saying it multiple times in multiple ways. And then, and this is where it gets real, he begins to say, you know what? If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then there's all sorts of consequences that come out of this. And in verse 17, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised well, then your faith, your allegiance, your trust, it's worthless, it's futile, and you are still in your sins. This is the first problem he raises. Your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Now, why would he say this? 
I, I spent a little time trying to figure out what's going on here. And what Paul, I think, is saying, I'm pretty certain he's saying, is he, he's saying that the resurrection of Christ is so fused together with the death of Christ that to get rid of one is to get rid of both. Later in this service, we're going to take communion in which we celebrate and we honor and we remember Christ's death. And we remember that it is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that through his death, our sins have been washed away. They have been cleansed. But what Paul wants to say here is that it's not enough to have Christ die. If Christ didn't uh, raise from, if he wasn't raised from the dead, well, then it really didn't mean much at all. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the, the death without the resurrection and have it mean anything. I used to ask my class, uh, I, I said, you know, if we found the bones of Jesus uh, and we were certain that they were Jesus' bones, and an archaeologist was able to uh, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, these are Jesus' bones, would you still be a Christian? And more than half the class always says, yeah, I'd, be, I'd still be a Christian. And I would say, Paul wouldn't be a Christian, <laughs> Because he wants to say that the resurrection of Christ is that important. Christ's death is as meaningful as it is because Christ was also raised from the dead, thus defeating death. You can't have one without the other. And the defeating of your sins is great and all, but the defeating of death is far superior. And what is happening in human history at this point, when Christ is dying and then being raised again from the dead, is human history is changing completely. And we are entering into a new phase of history where for the first time, death is on the run. And for the first time, we have an answer to the problem of evil and to the problem of death that has been plaguing us from the beginning. And Paul wants to say, we need them both. And we can expect that Christ has not just solved your sins in this life, but in the life to come. And that we too will be raised from the dead and transformed into something that we were meant to always be. That was just problem number one. <laughs> if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, well, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they've perished. What's he saying here? He's saying that those people who believed in Jesus and then they died... Fallen asleep is like a, a nice way of saying they, they died, right? Well, they've, he says perish, or this translation says perish. 
but a better word is they've been obliterated. They no longer exist in any form if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And Paul wants to say no. No, this is not the case. We have more hope than this. We have more hope than this life. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And here's what he's saying. If we're going around and we're saying that, yeah, Christ has saved me from my sin and then I'm going to die, and then nothing else happens. And it's just for this life only. It doesn't matter. Like, that, that's not good enough for me. That's what Paul says. That's not good enough for me. And we should be pitied. And what all of this really means, he's putting all of this in the negative. So to put it in the positive... What he's saying is that this is not the case. In Christ, we have hope not just in this life, but in the next. And we are not to be pitied, right? We have a hope that someday all will be restored. And this is what he gets to in the paragraph that's coming. That all will be restored, And that this event in human history, that is Jesus' death and resurrection, it has changed everything. And the world has been turned right side up again. And for the first time, we have a hope that death is not the final victor in in this world. That death itself has been defeated. And that the problem that has plagued us for way too long, the problems of sin and death, both have been defeated, one at the cross, the other at the resurrection. And he concludes this way, he says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The firstfruits. You know what a first fruit is? You do. It's not something we think about because most of us don't grow our own food. But first fruit is you plant a tomato plant. There's some out there now. Uh, and then it grows up and, and then that t- it gives off its first tomato, right? That's Christ, that first one. And that first one, it's a promise, It's a promise that there's more fruit to come, that it's not the only one, right? That it's a healthy plant, it's viable, its roots are good, it's strong, and that first fruit makes a promise that for the rest of the growing season, you will have more tomatoes coming off of that plant, right? That's the promise. Well, in the same way, Christ's resurrection is a promise to us. It's a promise that he has indeed defeated death in this moment and that you and I in Christ, well, we too can defeat death at some point in the future when the general resurrection happens. 
and that we have hope in Christ for this very thing. Some of you might be thinking at this point, well, Eric, we knew all of this already. (laughs) You're not preaching to us anything we've never heard before. We all know that we have hope in Jesus and that in the future, indeed, we will be raised from the dead. And this is what we hope for, right? Well, there's a couple things I would want to say. One, it's always good to be reminded of this. But two, and probably more importantly, is tying it back into exactly how this works out in the beginning of it all. And reminding us of the significance of Christ's death and resurrection in a way that is uh, uh, as fresh then as it should be now. Right? I think what happens over time is you hear the story enough and it just kind of uh, it builds on itself and it, it gets, you get used to it. And maybe it gets a little old, and you're like, yep, I've heard that one before, I've heard that one before. And then finally you say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that's what's supposed to happen. And sometimes we need to rip off that band-aid, and we need to feel it all over again. And we need to, to hear it in a different sort of way that... You believed this stuff at some point. And what Paul's going to say is, if you believe this stuff, then we should live like we believe this stuff. And we should talk to people like we believe this stuff. And we should behave like we believe this stuff. And that Christ's Death and resurrection as a first fruit and as a hope for us, it should give us a measure of hope that is beyond anything that the world can offer to us. What he's trying to do is he's trying to shake the Corinthian people out of their own mindset that comes from the world around them. Getting them to think differently than they've thought their whole lives. He says, some of you believed that we will not be raised from the dead, and I'm coming here to tell you that that's just not true. And so the last thing I would want to say to you is, what is it that the world is telling us over and over and over again that we need to be shaken out of. That we need to be reminded of this core truth. That Christ's death and burial and resurrection and appearance to the uh, uh, apostles. What do we need to be shaken out of? There's a certain complacency, I think, that we are afforded as uh, American Christians that uh, most of the time I enjoy. But I do think, as a pastor, it's my job to shake us out of. 
And I think sometimes we allow the world's way of thinking into our way of thinking. And one of the things that is standing behind the scenes of all of this, this whole chapter, in fact, is something that I do think we all need to be shaken out of. And it connects almost one-to-one directly with us. Among the Corinthian people was this notion that is very much like a health and wealth gospel. And it's, it's this idea that if you're doing well in life, well, it's because uh, you are uh, somebody who does good things in life. And if you're not doing well in life, it's because you're somebody who's done bad things in life. And Paul is coming along here and he's saying, that's not how this whole thing works. This whole thing works by the grace of God through Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And he's going to, uh, in a few verses, tell us that his life It doesn't look anything like the goodness you might expect it to. His life isn't filled with uh, wealth. It's not even filled with health. He's had to battle beasts in Ephesus, he's going to come and say. uh, And he says he dies just about every day, right? And his life looks nothing. And then he's going to point to Jesus, and he's going to say that's what his life looked like too, And he's going to say that if this life is all there is, and if you and I are living for this life alone, which is definitely something the world teaches us and that we all need to be shaken out of, then we have a problem. And he's going to say that there's more to this life and the next because of these core truths. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come now. And we uh, say to you that we do believe. We do believe again. That the truths that happened on those days 2,000 years ago are still true to this day. That on the Good Friday where you died and you took the sins of the world upon you, that we believe that. And we believe that you were buried. And we believe that you were raised again on the third day. And we believe that has changed everything. But God, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to let that sink in. And it's hard to make that real And let that change us and force us to be different kinds of people. To be Christ-like kinds of people. Lord, this morning, this is what we choose. Lord, as we come, we prepare our hearts to take of the cup and of the bread. And we remind ourselves of the sacrifice. We remind ourselves of the first part of the story, the part where you died. And Lord, we do not take this lightly. Lord, as we sang, um, 
amazing grace. Your grace is amazing. But we do not take it lightly. We bear a heavy burden for the ways in which we have sinned. And Lord, we transfer that to you through the atoning power of your work on the cross. May we, in the next few moments here, sit with that, confess our sin to you, and give you thanks for the goodness that you've given to us. Let us do that now.